Trigger warning, this episode contains conversation about suicide. I just spoke to Nikki Zaleski. She talks about learning how to manage her uh, bipolar disorder. She hid it for 20 years and tried to manage it by herself until she couldn't any longer. She realized she couldn't do it alone. She talks about self-harm. She talks about um, her triggers, um, attempts at suicide, um, staying in a mental health facility, and finally a journey to therapy and medication and um, her biggest message is that we are not alone. Kevin, this place. <laughs> What's up, girl? Hi, Chelsea. It's nice to see you. To see you. You look gorgeous in your oh sweatshirt, gosh. and you look like bright and cheery and happy. I didn't know if I could do the the little buns on my head because I'm 43. <laughs> so I didn't know if that was acceptable or not. No, it, it's so it's 2022. Like I, everything goes right now. Whatever you want now, right? Yeah. <laughs> said yes. Yeah. So you're okay. So where are you at? You're in Milwaukee. Um, I'm in Menominee Falls, but in Wisconsin. Okay. So probably okay. about a half hour out of Milwaukee. Oh, okay. I don't know. Like this is so. I already told you for some reason. I knew you were American. <laughs> but for some reason, I was thinking you were living on Australia or have lived in Australia. And that would have been awesome. I was like, hey, so what time zone are you on? How are you going to work out a podcast? <laughs> You're like, well, I'm um, in Wisconsin. I'm like, OK, I think that's a little easier. America <laughs> yeah. makes it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I first. um well, first of all, I've been following you for a while um, because you post funny memes and funny tweets on your account. And I just I, I, I follow funny people. I think you're funny. Thank you. And you posted a video over the new year that like was complete opposite of like your typical demeanor on social media. And it was really shocking Um, and I, and I mean that in the most like eye-opening way and not like a negative way, but just the fact that people have so many layers and we don't know what somebody's going through. And so for you to just be this, like, you're like this really funny person with this really funny account. And then to see, oh, she's going through some stuff. It was eye-opening to me. Um, I'll just go ahead and like summarize what the video was basically, you were in tears and you were very upset because you said you're bipolar and your bipolar medication um, was canceled. And you were, you seemed like you were like just so desperate to get help and your needs weren't being met. I was using sample packs of something called Raylar. It's for bipolar depression. And I guess you're not supposed to be using those long term. So when I called to get the refill, they said, I'm sorry, but you know, we're out of it. And not only that, but you shouldn't be using the sample packs. So they were like, we'll talk to your psychiatrist and see what we can do. But right now there's nothing we can do. And I read online, you're not supposed to go off of it cold turkey. And then I found out why I was crying uncontrollably. I just wanted to sleep. I didn't, I missed work for three days. It was just... I was shaking at one point and just like I got sick to my stomach. It was horrible. And I just kept thinking, I never want this to happen again. And 
what I've always tried to do with my page is to be completely honest about my mental health issues because I, one, I want to kind of chronicle my journey with it, but two, let other people know that they're not alone. You know, <laughs> other people have gone through the same thing and I just wanted them to see, hey, you know, you have a, a sister in this or you have an ally in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, and you completely did that. I loved how raw and real you were with your audience. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's what made me just say, I need to talk to Nikki because um, it was, um, I, I appreciate that. I think there needs to be more of that. And there needs to be more discussion around mental health. And I think there's a lot of stigma maybe, or a lot of just unknowns that come around bipolar disorder. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that with you today. And so I figured what better way than, well, actually first, how about you just give us a little, um, just a little idea of what bi- uh, bipolar disorder is. Sure. So, and the thing I had to tell myself today was too to use I statements and not we statements because everybody has something different going on when it comes to bipolar. So basically it's characterized as mood swings that are extreme highs and extreme lows. And what that means for me personally is the extreme highs are you're feeling accomplished, you have hope, You maybe get everything done in the house that you need to get done. And then the low, low point is you sleep all day. You don't take care of your hygiene. You don't get anything done around the house and you just feel like worthless. You feel like you're, you're never going to get out of it and you're just going to be this worthless, you know, person that just sleeps all day. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. What you brought up was you're using I statements because this is very much your story. And so I don't want people to come on here and feel like they're getting um, like very prescribed medical advice. This is very a personal story to you. And I, I think personal stories can help other people, although that may not be their ex- complete experience, but they may be able to take some knowledge away and hopefully it'll give them some hope as well. When you were a little girl, what, um, what was your life like? What was your personality like? Were you feeling like you were displaying any signs of being, um, having bipolar disorder? Not when I was a a young child. Um, I grew up in a military family, so we moved around a lot. So there was a lot of I would say that I was an introvert. I was very shy. I didn't make friends very easily. And because we moved so much, it was kind of like, you know, hey, you have a group of friends, but then you have to, you're going to move in three, three years or two months. And, you know, you can't make very, you know, strong relationships in that amount of time or you do, but then you move on. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, I would say I was a happy child. I didn't have any, you know, things that, I would say were too um, traumatic that happened in my life. I do remember being kind of an anxious child. I worried a lot about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, other than that, it was, it was fine. We got to go to a lot of different places. I probably would have never been to otherwise. Yeah. Did you have siblings? Were you an only child? I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Okay. And then do you remember what your um, like family's outlook was on mental health back then? That was something we never talked about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I grew up in the 80s. And then when things started to change for me was in the mid 90s. And it just wasn't something that was discussed. And it was even something like in the media that I never really heard about. 
Right. I can relate so much with that. That was, it was similar in my household. It was, and I, I feel like it was kind of looked at as, um, oh, if you go to a therapist, if you go to a psychiatrist, they're just going to want to change your brain and there's nothing wrong with your brain. That's sort of how it was looked at. I don't know if it was, you know, I was born in 87, so I don't know if like that, you know, so kind of a nineties child, if that was just a common theme back then, but yeah, it wasn't something greatly discussed. It was like, just change your attitude. Oh, exactly. Well, just don't worry about it or don't think about it. And it's like, but that's all I can think about. So when you were little, you didn't notice any extreme swings in mood? No, it didn't start to occur until I was a teenager. Oh, okay. So that's when it kind of manifested itself. Did did you notice or were told that mental health issues ran in your family at all? Or you had like your parents or grandparents? No, that's, that's something that never came up. And to this day, I mean, I've asked about it because it's, you know, such a a prevalent issue in my life that the only thing that I was ever told was that um, my mom's uncle um, was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I learned too, that um, people with, you know, drug, drug abuse and alcohol abuse in their life, that's a mental disorder too. I did not know that until I actually met someone in one of the facilities who had it. And yeah, it kind of changed my perspective on things. When did you start realizing that something was different or when did it start manifesting in you? So when my dad was stationed in Korea, we actually got to live here in Wisconsin for one full year. And when I did that, I got to go to, this was my sophomore year of high school. So I went to high school here and I knew we were only going to be here for a year, but it was still like, it was still a prime time in my life. You know, I was 15 going on 16, had a bunch of friends at that time. I was a little less shy. I had a boyfriend who at the time I was like infatuated with. And then one day my dad comes home and he says, well, we're moving. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I kind of saw this coming and he says, well, we're moving to England. Oh, wow. That's a change. So- So yeah, that was a huge change. I'm like, well, it's not as if, you know, my boyfriend can come visit me because I live in England and my friends can't come because we're in England, you know, Mm -hmm. so that was kind of what changed things for me. I got um, to our new base and I had my own room. So I kind of just sat in there like days on end, just like reminiscing about things that had happened. It was hard because I ended up breaking up with my boyfriend because I was like, this isn't going to work if I live, you know, a country away from you. And it was just devastating to me. And Mm -hmm. from there, it just kind of manifested. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it wasn't such a hard trauma, but in my own mind, it was just like this devastating thing that I couldn't get past. And I was, I just know I was in my room all the time and I was crying constantly. And when I couldn't figure out a way to get it to stop, um, that's when some self-harm started. Mm. So I, I started to take a brush and hit myself. And I would do that until my legs were just bruised up because I thought if I traded the emotional pain for physical pain, that that would be better. Now, knowing that that's, that's not true at all. It right. Both of them at the same time and not knowing how to stop it. Can and people it, do people who like cut themselves? That's a similar reason yes. behind it. It's like this release of emotion. 
I'll say for me, I don't know for other people specifically, but once I got older, I did kind of start getting into to cutting myself. And that was, again, it was just this release and it, you know, gave me this finite amount of time to not think about what was going on mentally that was like plaguing me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so did your parents, when you were going through this, just say, this is just normal teenage stuff. Teenagers are moody. Teenagers are dramatic. Was it, was that kind of what it was chalked up to be? It honestly was something they never knew about. Wow. I, I tried to hide it so well that they had no idea. Neither did my sister, neither did my brother. My friends kind of knew because they would see me cry at school or cry somewhere where, you know, you're not supposed to be crying, you know? And, um, Basically, I tried my best to hide it. And the reasoning I gave um, to someone I was talking to just recently was that my only, um, sorry, my only eyesight into mental health was things I had seen in movies, mm -hmm. which was people in straitjackets and people in padded rooms. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I don't want either of those things to happen. So I'm not going to tell a soul. And I didn't. Wow. And I basically kept that hidden until 2015. So, so when you were self-harming, were you thinking, okay, this isn't normal. I don't think other people are doing this. This isn't healthy. Was that going through your mind or were you like, no, this is, this is what I need to do. What was going through your mind? It definitely felt like it was unhealthy and I just didn't know what to do about it. Like, we don't like to use the crazy word, but that's how I felt. I felt like my mind was just going crazy and I didn't know what to do to stop it. I didn't know how to approach my parents about it. You know, I just was like, just keep it quiet. It'll go away. That's basically what I thought until it didn't go away. What, what did your parents think when you were locking yourself in your room? I don't know. I thought maybe they just thought it was teenage angst. I don't know. Yeah. What they thought. And I had a friend who locked herself in her room for two weeks and no one really came to check on her because it was okay. She's just being like a normal moody teenager. Right. But really, you know, talking to her now, she's like, no, like I had just been abused by a classmate and yeah. I didn't, I was ashamed and I wanted to hide and I didn't want to, people to see me going through this. Right. But I think, but I think it's like that nineties kid who's like, now I think you, you would say, okay, if someone locks themselves in a room for two weeks, something's going on. You need to like dig deeper. But that's, I think that this is an important conversation because it reinforces, like, if you see something out of the ordinary, it's time to take some action. Agreed. And that's the thing too, is like, I never wanted at this point, I never wanted my parents or my sister or anybody to feel bad about not noticing, mm -hmm. you know, cause that was my biggest fear is that they're going to, they're going to put that guilt on themselves. And I didn't want that because I felt like I was the one who hid it from them. I should have come forward, but I just wasn't strong enough at that point. Yeah. And that's a lot to put on a teenager too, you know, right. it's, Teenage emotions are very complicated and very complex as it is, True. but then you're also dealing with like, you know, mental health on top of that. And it's just, that's a lot for a teenager to work through. That was a lot for you to work through on your own. Yeah. Without having help and people knowing. Well, and 
that and like you're going through just the regular high school you know thing you mm-hmm. know i i'm trying to make friends i'm trying to see if i can date anybody and then it just it doesn't work out because my brain is or at the time my brain was constantly telling me like you're not good enough you know you're not smart enough you're not pretty enough you're not skinny enough you know like anything that some normal teenagers might go through it was kind of doing that to me but on a loop and like mm-hmm. as loud as possible. So like it drowned out everything else. Wow. Yeah. So, so the self-harm starts and then how does it progress from there? So it basically goes from self-harm to you shouldn't be alive anymore. So, and did that, did that happen quickly? Yes. You were how old at the point where the hitting was that you said 15, 16. 16 okay. 16 years old. Yeah. So from that point, it's like, you know, nothing else is working. Your brain is not cooperating. Crying your eyes out every day isn't helping anything. Maybe, maybe you're not meant to be here. Maybe that's what your brain is trying to tell you. And that was the first time that I thought, you know what, maybe my brain is right. Why would it keep telling me this if it's not correct? It's my brain. So, um, the first time I tried anything to overdose was, and I didn't, I didn't know this at the time, but I thought if I took enough aspirin, I could just end it all. Right. And it just made me really sick, but it didn't do anything about it. And then I just felt like a failure. Right. Are you feeling like a failure because you didn't succeed at that? Yes. Or because you would attempt something like that? Um, because I didn't succeed. Wow. And, and, and sorry, how old were you when that happened? Uh, 16. Okay. So this happened, all started happening very quickly. Right. It was all kind of within the same year. And this was, you're in England at the time? Yes. Okay. So it starts off, you're upset because you're leaving your boyfriend, everything you know, to, okay, you're still upset. You're still, wait, this isn't going away. Right. This is, so then it just really triggered it. It sounds like at the time. Yes. So did anybody know when you harmed yourself? Uh, no, because again, it was something where I, I tried to keep it from everybody. Nobody could see the bruises because they were on my thighs. And I was just like, you know what? No one's got to know about this. This is just between me, myself and I. Yeah. Okay. So when did it start coming to people's attention? Uh, the, the first time it really came to anybody's attention was when I was, um, dating a boy named Brian. I was about 19 years old and I finally decided to say something to someone. So we had a conversation and it was like a two hour conversation where I was just in tears for most of it. And I was telling him, you know, Hey, there are actually times where I feel like I shouldn't be alive. And he basically said, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you feel that way? And I said, well, I don't know. That's the point, Mm -hmm. you know, and instead of him trying to back me up or encourage me, he broke up with me. Oh, wow. Yeah. He broke up with me and basically said to never call him again. Mm -hmm. But before that, he said he was going to tell my parents. And then I begged him not to do that because I, I hadn't told them any of this, you know, he was the first person I had ever told. And then after that happened, I said, no one else needs to know this. If this is how I'm going to get a reaction or this is the reaction I'm going to get, then I'm just going to keep this to myself from now on. Oh yeah. 
I mean, I, I know this is kind of off topic, but like when it comes to um, child abuse, I know this isn't child abuse. Um, they say to tell your child, listen, if anything ever happens to you, tell an adult, an adult. And if that adult doesn't listen, you tell another adult and then you tell somebody else until somebody listens and somebody helps you. Right. And it's just because I want people to feel like there's hope that there's, you know, this Brian was a punk. It sounds like, <laughs> and, much. and his reaction wasn't the right reaction, probably the right reaction being, Hey, let's figure out how we can get you some help. Because at right. that point, it sounds like it was sort of a cry for help exactly, or someone to confide in. And then when you see that, how he handled it, I feel like it'd be pretty easy to say, going to back off. Nobody else needs to know. Like, see, this is this is how he handled it. This is how everybody's going to handle it. Right. So, between sixteen and nineteen, were there any more? Was there any more self harm? Was there any more um, moments of seeing uh, of these like extreme lows? The self harm continued, and that continued through my adulthood. Um, basically, it was. Um, like I said, the, the hitting myself either with my fists or a brush and then the cutting myself when I was in my thirties. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the low lows, I mean, it just, it just, it envelops you. Mm -hmm. You're, you're sitting there one day and you feel okay. You know, you feel like you've had a productive day. You feel all right. And then the next day you're crying for what seems like no reason. And yeah. you just don't. You don't have anything to equate it to. You're just saying, why am I crying? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just sitting here not thinking about anything in particular and I'm crying. Yeah. You know, so that that's basically a lot of what it is. It, it's more than just crying, but it, mm -hmm. it tends to be a lot of crying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could go back to your 16 year old self now, what would you tell her? I would tell her that it's okay to ask for help. I would tell her that she's not alone. Um, I would have definitely talked to my parents about it. And I would have basically begged for help because I just, I couldn't do it on my own. So you talked about having triggers. Um, and I'm sure, I don't know if this is true, but over time, do triggers uh, change? They do. They do because it might be something that you never really thought about until it happens. So a trigger can be a smell. It can be something you see. It can be something you hear. So one, I'll say it's odd, odd for me anyway. Um, so the band cake, anytime mm -hmm. I would hear the song, the distance, mm -hmm. I would start crying. I would oh, wow. At least start crying. You know, it, you don't know why, or was that like a special song or it was a song when your ex's song? Yeah, it was actually. So not to get too into it, but so after I graduated high school, we actually went back to the States um, to visit family. And that ex-boyfriend from when I was 16 came back into the picture. Mm -hmm. And we had this really weird conversation where we were like, hey, we should get married. 
like okay we're we're 18 years old and you know we barely seen each other in two years but yeah let's get married mm -hmm. so he he proposes to me at the mall which was awesome and then <laughs> i keep it from my family because i know they're going to be like this is not a good idea mm -hmm. so i go back to england then and then like a month to the day that we're engaged um i get him on the phone and he goes i just can't do this and of course okay. i'm just devastated all over again i go into mm -hmm. my room and i'm scream crying through the floor my dad's like what's going on mm -hmm. so then i finally had to come through it but that was one of the songs that i heard throughout the time i was back home with him so mm -hmm. now when i hear it it just for some reason i just start crying even though i don't care about this person anymore yeah you know there's a song by fergie i can't listen to anymore <laughs> and it's it's funny because i'm like this is from like 15 years ago. Why can't I? <laughs> but even now I get sad. I, and I know yeah. it's like different than having like a, like a bipolar, like low, but it makes me sad. Like it just conjures up those like same feelings of that it moment in my does, life. You know, and you can't explain it. I mean, you just feel the way that, that you feel about it. And, yeah. um, especially with me, I'm a big movie fan, but there are certain things in movies and I can explain them to you if you want me to, but there are certain things in movies that I cannot physically watch because I will just break down. Really? I, I mean, yeah, I would love to hear about the, the different triggers for so, sure. Uh, before I get into one of them, I get, I guess I just wanted to, um, to give you a tiny backstory. So I had a friend named Sam, um, who I worked with, uh, for a short amount of time, but we became really, really good friends. And he confided to me that he had schizophrenia. Now he was telling me like all the different things that schizophrenia did to him and the things that were being said in his mind all the time by different voices and things like that. Well, on May 31st of 2017, he took his own life and it was by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So if I see anything like that in a movie, I just, I can't handle it because mm -hmm. it immediately brings me back to him. Mm -hmm. And he's the wallpaper on my phone too, which also triggers me, but I just can't seem to take him off of there. Like that's mm -hmm. where he belongs. I need to see his face every day. So the other thing in movies, again, this is something that has to do with another friend that um, died by suicide, a hanging you know, and these aren't things I see all the time, but I see them enough now that I'm like, okay, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> I want to watch movies, but not if this is going to happen, you know? Right. Cause you, when you say this is a trigger, cause I think a lot of people, if they had, um, had that experience mm -hmm. that might make them feel very sad. They might, um, think about it a lot, right. but what would be maybe the difference of somebody who has bipolar disorder that is being triggered is it, it it does it go beyond okay this put me in sort of like a, a funky mood for a little bit right, is right. it something that throws you into a depressive state for a period of time for a while it certainly can especially when it was so fresh in my mind when he passed away um it was something where i i could not handle the fact that he was just not here anymore mm -hmm. um and it threw me into the spiral where I was, you know, having the lowest of lows. But then I said to myself, um, I can't, I can't do this. I can't be in a world where he's not. Mm -hmm. So then about two months after he passed away, that was the first, well, that was the second time, um, I tried to overdose. 
Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say tried. I did overdose. So mm-hmm. I took my roommate's Ambien and just took the whole bottle and said, I'm just going to go to sleep and not wake up. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Did somebody find, how old were you? Uh, this would be when I was 37. Okay. And so who found you? What happened? So the, the story I was told, because I don't remember any of this, was that um, my roommate saw that I, I got up to go use the bathroom during the middle of the night. And he said, I left the door wide open, which I don't do. I close the door. Mm-hmm. So he came in there and he said, I was just sitting on the toilet, but not doing anything. And he's like, are you okay? And I guess I said, yes. And he's like, are you okay? And he could tell that something was wrong with me, but he didn't know what. Mm-hmm. So then he rushed me to the emergency room and that's when they had to have me drink charcoal and get the pills out of my stomach so that I wouldn't die. Oh, wow. I'm so grateful for your roommate finding you. Yeah. That's awful. When did you, um, when did your family find out? Uh, I believe it was then. Mm-hmm. I think that was when they, they finally found out. So no, that's not true. I'm so sorry. 2015. So I had been hiding this whole terrible thing inside me for so long. And then it was just the weight of it finally broke me into pieces. So in 2015, um, I was working this job that I could not stand. I was crying in the bathroom like every other day. And I'm like, I just need to leave this job, but I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And then one day I woke up and I just was like, I'm calling into work. I don't feel right. And, um, I was just like at my wits end. I couldn't Mm -hmm. figure out how to get through the day without crying. I couldn't figure out how to get through the day without feeling like, I was just this terrible person or worthless person or burden on everybody around me. And I ended up calling a suicide hotline Uh and they put me on hold. What? I hung up. They put you, why did they put you on hold? I have no idea to this day, but I hung up immediately. And then I yelled for my roommate and I said, I said, they hung up on me. I mean, they put me on hold. I said, I don't know what to do. I said, I feel like I'm spiraling out of control here and I don't know what to do. So then I went to sit on the couch and I was hyperventilating. And then all of a sudden I was convulsing and my eyes rolled to the back of my head. And then that was, that was a time, another time that my roommate rushed me to the hospital because he didn't know what was going on with me. And then in a room full of strangers, basically, I said, I would like to crash my car into a tree. And then you, that's. You do. You said that in an emergency room? I did. Okay. And doctors and nurses. And did you say that because that's like what you were feeling or you wanted to get their attention and help and have them help you immediately? It was one of those things that had already crossed my mind several times when I had driven my car. And I finally just said, you know what, you have to come clean. You need Mm -hmm. to tell someone that these are the thoughts that you're having. And then maybe, maybe at this point, somebody can help you. Somebody can get Uh, you the help that you need. How old were you at this point? Uh, That would have been 36. Okay. So you're 36. Mm-hmm. You have hidden it from 16 to 36. So 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Your parents don't know. So at this point, does the hospital call your parents? Do you call your parents? 
Well, after I had explained to them that I was, you know, wanting to harm myself or wanting to kill myself, um, they put me into a mental health facility for the very first time, mm-hmm. which is a harrowing experience for me because when you go in at first, the first thing they make you do is take off all your clothes. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, they check you for well, at least places I've been. Yeah, yeah. So they they check you for um drug use, like needle marks and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they check you for scars. They check you for self harm. They ask you a bunch of questions, and they basically just check you over. But you do that in front of two strangers, and you're just like, okay, I wasn't, you know, feeling like getting mm-hmm. this personal with somebody today, but that's what they have to do. Yeah. And then yeah. what you do is you speak to someone in intake, and they basically go through what's going on with you. You know, are you taking medication? Are you seeing anybody about this? And I said, no. I said, I just don't know what I'm what I'm supposed to do here. So after intake, they sat me down, and I talked to another individual who. Um, yeah, I'll never forget this. He sat me down and he was talking to me and he said, you know, you seem like a really nice girl. You do realize that there are people with bigger problems than you, right? Oh, wow. And I, I was floored. I didn't know what to say. I'm just like, I do realize that there are people out there that are homeless. I realize there are people out there who have drug problems. I realize there are people who are living in not great situations. I said, and that breaks my heart. But right now I have to focus on myself. Right. So when I was, was this there, a this was a therapist that said that to you? This was one of the people that actually worked in the mental health facility. I think mm-hmm. they were just like a nurse practitioner. Okay. But it was one of those things where I just like I was shocked because I'm right. like, you shouldn't be saying this to people. And that's what I took away from it now is that if somebody had said that to me now, I would have I would have had a couple of nice words right. for them, you know. Well, and look at Robin Williams. Yeah. I mean, he's somebody who pre- people will probably look at and think he has everything. Right. And he took his life. And it just, we, I feel like are just beginning to understand, you know, like crack the surface on mental health. And when you're experiencing a chemical imbalance, it's, you know, it's, there's only so much you can do until you need to have intervention. Right. And I'm so glad you brought up Robin Williams because that was one of those things too, that when, when he passed away, I was just like, see, you know, he, he's like me, you know, we're like a lot of other people. It's one in four people that will suffer from a mental health issue in their life. And that's, that's a huge number. If you think about it, you know, think about all the people in your life and, you know, there's maybe two or three of them that are that are having issues right now and maybe they don't talk about it or maybe they're not medicated. And it's one of those things that we have to keep the conversation open and with celebrities, especially like you were just saying that it just seems like they have it all. What do you have to be sad about? Right. And it's, it's not like that. It's not just being sad. It's being to the point where you just, you can't do it anymore. You know, you've suffered for so long that you just say, I I can't exist anymore. Right. Right. So at that point, then your parents find out. Yes. I end up calling them and my brother and my sister and letting them know that, that I'm in a facility that, um, I had had these feelings about wanting to take my own life. And it was just this, this shock. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. because they had no idea. Mm -hmm. And then from that conversation, um, it basically just turned into this thing with myself where I said, you know what? 
I already spent too many years not talking about this. I, I have to do something different. Yeah. When I first got to the facility, I spent the whole night in my room just staring out the window at the dark. And then I finally just like kicked my own butt and said, get out of this room. <laughs> this is not going to help you. This is not going to make a difference to you. You have to get out. So I did. And I finally, I sat by myself and had some dinner. And then I finally started to talk to people in the facility. And then I realized how much common ground we had. Mm -hmm. And then I finally felt like I had some community, you know, mm -hmm. I had someone to talk to about this. And that's when they finally got me on some medication and had me talk to a therapist. And then they would do groups to kind of help you out and stuff like that. And I was there for about a week. And it, it was very beneficial to, to my story for sure. So how was it getting on medication for the first time? It was weird. I mm -hmm. am someone who does not like swallowing pills whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So to take several medications all at once was a, a big deal to me. Um, the thing with medication and the thing that um, other people should know out there too, especially if they're just starting this journey and talking to a psychiatrist or a therapist is that it can take some time to get those medications right. You mm -hmm. got to get the right dosage. You have to get the right prescription and everything. It took a good five years for me to finally get to a place where I feel stable. Right. So when you first got on it, was it, it took, how long did it take to kind of kick in and make you feel a little more balanced? Um, I'd say it probably took for me, it took about a month. Okay. And then we talked about other medications because I have anxiety plus the bipolar depression and they just wanted to make sure they had the right prescriptions to, to get me to where I needed to be so that I could live a more fulfilling life than I was already. Yeah. And did you, after that month, did you, did you start, I know it wasn't perfected yet, but did it give you hope? Did it give you some stability? It did for a little while until it just felt like my body was acclimating to the to medication. Yeah, that's how anti for me. That's how antidepressants because um, I have a little bit of um, uh, anxiety and depression at times. So just I kind of go in and out of it depending on what's going on. But um, I found with antidepressants that. I was on it for a while. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, why am I kind of like being snappy again? Like, why am I, you know, or I'm right. just in this funk. And I, I do think that, yeah, our bodies acclimate to some degree and maybe yeah, it's that's... time to up it. Maybe it's time to change it. Maybe it's trying, time to pair it, but it's, it's like this constant evolving, um, treatment. Oh yeah, definitely. I know that there have been things that have worked and haven't worked and, you know, they've just mm -hmm. been around and around and around with it. And like I said, it took a good five years for them to get close to what's given me some stability. And that's why when the one medication I had to stop cold turkey, it just threw me into a tailspin. Did you now I was going to ask about that medication. Do you feel like that medication helped you feel like you were in a stable place Did you, and you could live a functioning, happy life? Um. Yes and no. So I, I just recently got back into the workforce. I had been out of work for about three years and I was just, I think because I wasn't working and because I didn't feel like I was a productive member of society, I guess I was just like sleeping 16 to 20 hours a day. I was not taking care of myself and we were still using the bipolar depression medication, but it, 
they had to make some other changes within that too to try to help get me to where I needed to be. But I honestly think me getting out of the house was the first step. Yeah. Of making the medication work with this because I mean, it's, it's not curable, but it's manageable, you know? Right. Cause that's the so, other thing people don't realize is that it's not something that can be cured by medication, but you can manage it better with medication and therapy. So then it sounds like there are some other, some like skills you can learn to help manage bipolar disorder anyway. Yes. Um, definitely coping skills that you can learn through groups or therapy to, to try to, to try to do that. One of the things that I personally liked best was journaling. Right. Wow. That's good. Do you still do that? I do. I do. And, um, one of the things my one therapist told me was to keep a good journal and a bad journal. So anything good that happened, you write in the good journal, anything that was troubling you or that was um, bad, you would put in the bad journal. And then when you were having a particularly bad day, you would read the good journal to try and remember the things that you should be grateful for. Oh, I like that. (laughs) I'm going to write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I still, you know, I still struggle with depression. And I think that um, journaling, I have gone through moments where I have journaled Mm -hmm. and it does help me just kind of get it all out on paper. And I'll either be like, okay, this isn't so bad. (laughs) Or it'll just like, Oh, here's my release. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Did you you do any meditation? I used to, I mean, I don't know why I still don't because, or why I don't now, because there's a really great um, app called headspace. I don't know if you've ever used that meditation app, but he's, he's got a very calm British voice and he just puts you at ease and he basically just walks you through how to meditate and for a certain amount of time and how to breathe properly so that. Well, I'm really surprised that British accent doesn't trigger you (laughs) back to your high school years. Good point. I never thought of that. Oh no, don't think of that now. Ignore everything I just said. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's an app called Calm that I've used. And that's a good one, too. I think that meditation, that's one of those things. I'm also I'm also ADHD. So like that consistency in my life is difficult. Mm -hmm. But I do know like journaling, meditation, exercise, eating right, all of those things, they do help. I'm not saying it's a cure, but it does help. And I've heard people say, okay, I go on to, obviously I know what you're, what you're going through is very different from what I'm going through, but I do know, like people say, if you are, are kind of spiraling, are you meeting all of the, you know, the check boxes of what's going to help pull you out of it? The things that you can, the actions you can take to help pull you out of it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then do it and do it consistently. And if that's not helping, then like, you know, take it a step further and, and adjust your medication or adjust, you know, meet with a therapist or whatever else that, you know, so, so what, so what we're, so what's kind of like now what's your go-to list to help you through it? Well, this may or may not sound weird, but Instagram is my big one right now. Really? (laughs) Basically, because I will. And like you already know, I love your page. You're super funny and so sweet. And it's one of those things where I I find a lot of humor in there where I need it most. Mm -hmm. You know, there will be days where I'm having a a particularly hard day and I can go on Instagram and there's always going to be something that brightens my day. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but I found this other 
wide community of people that are mental health warriors. Mm -hmm. You know, I will post something and I will get a DM from someone that says, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know anybody else felt like I did, Mm -hmm. you know, and that means a lot to me because I want that to be the takeaway for my page is that you don't have to be quiet because, you know, I did for so long and I, it hurt me really badly. Yeah. And I want them to know that they can talk to me or they can talk to someone else and that there are so many people out there that w- are willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my other go-tos and it is also on Instagram is um, NAMI. It's the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Mm-hmm. And they basically are the biggest proponents of no stigma, you know, getting rid of the stigma around mental illness and things like that. Um, uh, movies, movies are a big thing with me. Um, reading sometimes, not all the time, <laughs> not as much as I should. Um, I love to paint. Um, I do abstract painting on canvas, but I also used to paint my own face, which I'll send you, I'll send you a couple of pictures in the DMs. But actually your, your physical face. face. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're yeah. not saying like you paint a portrait of yourself. No, you're no, actually no, no, no. your face. Nope. Just paint my own face. So I think, uh, after we're done, I'll send you a couple DMs to, so you can see what they look like. Yeah. I want to see. It's pretty fun. Like characters or just. It's hard to say. Some of it's just Wednesday? abstract. And mm-hmm. like I did one for epilepsy. I did one for autism. Um, I did one for 4th of July and Valentine's Day and things like that. There are just so many makeup pages on Instagram too yeah. that I'm a big fan of. And I, one day I just said, you know what? I think maybe I could try that. Yeah. Was, I was like, at first I was like, no, you can't do it because you're not going to be as good as them. But that's not the point. The point is to try something new. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like learning and fulfillment for you are some like big factors for the depression anyway. Yes, definitely. Because mm-hmm. the voice is so loud in my head. Oh, that's the thing. I call it the demon. Mm-hmm. I had to give it a name. So it's the demon. And that's okay. that evil part of my brain that wants to tell me that I'm not as good as I am, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. the thing too, is that nobody else is telling me these things. So I have to tell myself constantly that whatever it's saying is a lie. Yeah. Don't believe it. It's a lie. Nobody's telling you that you're a horrible person, which Mm -hmm. I'm not. I try really hard to be a kind person. Right. Right. No, it's, and you can tell you are just by like the stuff on your Instagram and just talking to you. I mean, you can tell, Thank you. I can tell you are. I appreciate that. I really do because that reinforcement helps too, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that with what you're doing with your page is bringing in awareness. I, I just, I can only imagine that would just make you feel so fulfilled and like just purpose driven. Right. And it is definitely really difficult when the, the really hard times come in, like what you saw, on the video about me being without my Raylar. Um, but I think it's important. Right. I think I, I, yeah. I decided that I will keep doing stuff like that so that people, you know, I don't want people to feel bad, which is what happens most of the time, you know, Hey, I don't want to see you cry. And I understand that, but that's truly what was happening at the time. And I want to be, you know, transparent. I want people and to that's, know exactly what's that's happening. real. Mm-hmm. It's when people try to just put on, I, I, you, you had mentioned that you for so long were living through a smile, a fake smile, putting on a fake smile. I think is how you worded it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that helps anybody. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help 
people who might be going through something. I I mean, I think there's a difference between putting on a fake smile and being positive. I think those are like two separate things. Because I think if someone's going through a hard time, they can say, yes, I'm going through this hard time. I know it's going to get better. Versus somebody saying, I'm, I'm totally happy. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, so I think that's the difference. And I think that you just being real with what you're going through. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's so much value in that for people. There really is. Cause I, I think with mental health, especially people can just look at themselves and say, I am literally the only person in the world experiencing this. And that's how I felt at 16. Like I, there was yeah. nobody else in the world that could have possibly been feeling the same way as me. And it wasn't true. No, no, it's just not true. So do you, do you feel like you've become more authentic since being able to talk about it? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I feel like a completely different person than I did when I was a teenager, you yeah. know, and finally, once I, you know, divulged my, my secret, I guess, mm-hmm. um, I finally feel like I'm the person that I was meant to be. Even if I'm still going through these things, I know that I will continue to go through them, but I have a big support system. You know, I have great people in my life. Like I said, my roommate, he's been through it all with me and, and he knows, um, even my current boyfriend, Justin, I mean, probably within the first month, I told him like everything, Wow. which I thought was kind of courageous because I'm yes. like, he, he could run, you know, yes. but he didn't. He sat, he sat and listened to my story and he basically was like, you know what? We all go through things and he was there for me and he's been there for me since then. Oh, Justin. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that like makes my heart warm. Yeah, it's like, it's it's good to be in, in a, a relationship that's actually positive and yeah. makes me feel good about myself. Yeah, it's not going to your story isn't going to scare the good ones away. Like the good ones, will, the people that you want to stick around will stick around. Exactly. And the people that were not worth sticking around won't. Yeah, and that's the thing too. You have to you have to cut those ties when it gets to the point where they're not going to be beneficial to your life. Exactly. Your life's better off without those types of people. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, they're fair weather friends. So exactly. I know with my experience with getting on medication um, for depression, it was after my first um, my, no, it was after my second child was born. Mm-hmm. It was a very difficult for me, it was very difficult to accept that I needed to get on medication. Mm-hmm. And I think there was like, in my experience and maybe my upbringing, there was some shame around it. It's like, okay, I can't, I can't handle this world without a pill, you know? Sure. And why, like, what's wrong with my brain? Why can't I manage this on my own? No kidding. And, and then there's like, my brain's letting me down my, you know, mm-hmm. But my sister, she's a therapist and she's like, you know what? Try it. And if it makes your life better, keep taking it. And if it doesn't, then go off of it and try something else. Wonderful. She's like, it doesn't have to be forever. Just try it. And I think for a lot of people, when it comes to medication, I, I, I think medication is so important. It helps so many people. It's not everybody's like, it's, not for everybody's journey. Some people, you know, maybe are able to do other things to manage, but for so many people. And you know what's so interesting when I finally accepted that I needed to go on it, 
Right. I'm a very chatty person. And I tell, I just tell, I'm like diary of the mouth. Like I tell people my story, like you're very open as well. I feel like <laughs> right. once you probably started telling it, it's probably gotten easier for you to tell. Yeah, definitely. But I started telling people my story. And I remember this girl, I said, yeah, I had to get on, you know, antidepressants. She's like, oh, I love antidepressants. I'm like, what? <laughs> but she's like, oh, it's helped me so much. I'm just such a better mom. And, oh. and it was just the amount of people that were like, oh yeah, me too. It's interesting the people that come forward when you feel like there's all the shame around it and you're just right. like, no, there's so many people that have needed it and who it's helped. So has, has it affected your dating life? Has it affected your social life? Has it? it my dating life? I would say, I mean, now that I have Justin, it's, it's going a lot That's better it. than it had in the past. Um, I don't have a lot of friends. Like my roommate is my best friend and my sister is my friend, but I don't, I've lost a lot of friends along this journey mm -hmm. and I wouldn't change it. I mean, like we said before, if they're not beneficial to our lives, then they got to go. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been difficult that way, but I feel like I'm at a better place. Yeah. So if someone else comes into my life that wants to be my friend, I feel like I'll be a better friend. Right. Yeah. You want people who are going to be supportive and understanding in your life ultimately. Exactly. Now, do you ever go manic or are you just depressive? Ooh, um, I say manic because what happens with me is that my brain will give me tasks and want them done all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me go here, there, everywhere. And then I get exhausted because mm -hmm. I don't finish one task. I move on to the next. I try to go back to the first task. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. and it just keeps on going until, yeah, I can't, I can't handle it kind of thing. But mm -hmm. with the medication, it's, it's tapered off a lot. I don't okay. have that feeling as often, which is fantastic because I can't stand when that happens. Right. So, so with the medication, are your lows just like a little bit higher and your manic is like a little bit, it just kind of helps balance it or what, what, what does the medication help? I would say that that's definitely what it is, what you just said. So mm -hmm. the, the lows aren't as low and I can, I feel like I can pull myself out of it a little bit better than I could before the medication. And then the highs are, I don't, wouldn't say more normal highs, but they're just kind of like, you know, Hey, you had a good day today. Pat yourself mm -hmm. on the back kind of thing. You know, you didn't cry today. Pat yourself on the back, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Why, why do you think, um, I had a roommate who was bipolar. Um, I don't know if that's a, like the right way to say it was bipolar or had bipolar disorder. I'm actually not, I'm actually not totally sure what the right terminology is, that's but what do you prefer? If someone says you are bipolar or you have bipolar disorder, I don't know. <laughs> Neither one um, bothers me. I mean, okay. one is fine. I mean, <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm using like the right terminology, but um, so she had bipolar disorder and she got off her medication and she moved in with us um, right when she got off her medication. Okay. And, 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 and it was very, it was very obvious. She was going through a very difficult time. I didn't realize uh, until sort of the end before she moved out that that's what was going on. Then I found out, Oh, she was, she has bipolar disorder and she's not medicated, but 
she didn't want to be on it on her medication and, or she just felt like she didn't need to be anymore. And I'm wondering your experience with that. Are there, have there ever been times where you're like, I, I don't need this. I don't need this medication or I'd rather not be taking medication. Or Are you aware of why people might want to go off of it when it's something that is helping them? I would say for me personally, I have been there. So you think about it in kind of in terms of how many days in a row do you feel okay? So let's say I had a whole week where I felt okay. I didn't cry. I didn't, you know, sleep all day. I took care of all the things I was supposed to take care of. And then you're like, well, maybe I don't need the medication for the next week then. And you stop taking it. And then you're like, that was a bad idea. Okay. You know, or some people self-medicate with, you know, other things. And that is something that they may just say, hey, this is working better for me than the prescribed medication. And they'll just continue to do that. Mm-hmm. So it it all depends on the person, I guess. But yeah, that's happened to me a few times where I've just been like, you know what? I'm doing okay. Maybe I don't need this medication. And then realizing that that was a poor choice. I think that was, the, that, that was why you were okay was the medication. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have felt the same way with antidepressants where I'm yeah. like, actually, I think I'm good. Like, I don't, mm. where do you get your support system from? So with the, the fact that my family is now fully aware of my mental health issues, um, they've been a great support to me. Um, Justin, my roommate, um, my sister is my biggest cheerleader. She is there for me no matter what. Um, but there are times with the health and human services system here in Wisconsin where they do have groups that you can go to for, you know, bipolar depression or um, suicide awareness, things like that. And you're in a basically in a room with people who who get it, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's the best thing for me, you know. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. Just feeling like there's people who understand makes a world of a difference. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. When you, um, when you go into these depressive states, how long does it last? It can last for weeks. Okay. Even on medication, you can still go there. Yep. Yep. It just depends on how, I guess sometimes it can depend on if there's a specific trigger too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't have a reason, you know, like my sister will be like, well, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, but if there's a specific trigger, like around the time um, of Sam's anniversary of his passing, I'm, I'm almost incoherent for at least a week and it's Mm -hmm. almost been five years. What helps you come up from it? Talking to people. Mm-hmm. talking to my sister, talking to my therapist, things like that. I just have to remember that there are people out there that care about me and that he, for all intended purposes, is in a better place. He's not in pain anymore. How many times did you attempt um, to take your life? Four. Wow. And one... And one time was when people found you, was when your roommate found you, or did you have people find you? My, my roommate found me the second time that was in 2017 after Sam had passed. Um, the third time, 
I don't, I mean, I don't know how much of the story you want me to get into, but it's kind of involved as to why I tried to take my life the third time. Mm -hmm. Um, I had had a, a terrible experience at one of the mental health facilities that I was at and I felt like they just weren't helping me. Mm -hmm. I was getting kicked out of groups. I was hurting myself in front of people, which I had never done before. And they tried to tell me that it was my medication that was making me do this. And I said, no, I said, I've been taking the same medication for over a year and that's not what's causing it. I don't know what's going on here, but I was just like, I was livid because I would, I would be like physically punching my arms in front of nurses and they wouldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. They would just ask me to stop and I wouldn't stop. And then finally I was in my room one of the days and um, a nurse practitioner came in and she said, well, how are you doing? And I said, I'm very much unwell. I said, if I stay here, I'm going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. If I go home, I'm going to kill myself. I said, there is no middle ground here. I don't know what to do. And she just looked at me and she said, well, you know who that's up to, don't you? And I pointed to my head, like my brain. And she goes, no, that's completely up to you. And she said it kind of with a condescending tone. And I was just like, I was upset. And I just said, get wow. out of my room. And then after that, I, uh, I said whatever they needed me to say to get out of there. Because I was just like, this place is just not doing for me what I needed to do. So then I went home and I was, the first thing I did was I had my um, roommate take pictures of all my bruises. Cause I was just like disheveled and I know it's not a pleasant picture, but I'll send you that picture too, just so you can kind of see what it was like for me, like the moment I got out. And then 45 minutes later, I came out of the bathroom and I said to my roommate, I said, I just took all my pills. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, what'd you do that for? And I said, because I, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to die. And then he rushed me to the emergency room. And then, um, the next thing I knew I woke up in the ICU Oh, wow. so I didn't even, I didn't even remember what happened to me. I woke up in the ICU and, um, yeah, that was, that was terrifying. That was absolutely terrifying. Oh, you're, because, do you think you told him because part of you was like, that was a bad idea. I'm regretting this right away. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because otherwise I probably would have just done it and kept the door closed in the bathroom. But I think I was like, so scared that I should have. I was, I felt like they let me down at the mental health facility and I was just so frazzled and didn't know what was going on with me and nobody could give me an answer. And I just was like, I don't know what else to do here. Mm-hmm. So I said, why am I here? And yeah. I took all the medication, but then, yeah, I think it was an afterthought. And I said, maybe this was not the right course of action for me. Oh, wow. I'm glad that you realized that, you know, me too. I just, I mean, that's so scary. Yeah. And I'm glad that your roommate once again was able to help you. Is it your, your same roommate that you have now? Yes. Yes. Oh, Dan, he's, he's been through the ringer with me and, and he knows like he, he kind of has a sense now of if I need to go back into a facility a lot of the time, Yeah, you know, he knows my triggers. He knows my attitudes he knows everything basically that would be the other thing too that people should know is that it seems like it's a very selfish act but when you're in the midst of it it's it's really not it's you've gotten so low that you feel like you cannot get any higher you you've Mm -hmm. you've reached the bottom and the only way to go is up but for me there was no up 
Mm-hmm. I hit the ceiling. I'm down. I'm down for the count, basically. So it wasn't one of those things where I was just like, you know, I want to hurt my family. I want to hurt the people around me by not being here anymore. It just was one of those things where my my own mind was going against me and just saying, you know what? This isn't for you. Right. You know? This this has been a fight for too long and you're not winning this battle. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about suicide. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, we obviously, there are, there are so many other options. There's so many people out there who can help. There's mm-hmm. professional, there, there's support groups, uh, you know, that shouldn't ever be an option. But right. the people who are at that point mentally, I think it's probably very difficult to realize that there are other options. Right. That there is light at the end of the tunnel. Certainly. It's very, very difficult to see. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's this stigma around it because I, always, you know, when I grew up, it was always like, oh, those people are just completely selfish. Yeah. Or, I mean, because I grew up very religiously. Right. And one of the things was, oh, yeah, those people will definitely be going to hell. You know, mm-hmm. that was a big, a big thing. I do right. not believe that anymore. I don't either. Because I just, I think there are some people who are in such a dark place that they're, they're not thinking clearly. No. And I mean, and, and yourself, like you've been through that experience. I don't know if you want to elaborate that on that at all, but um, of, of maybe breaking that stigma because at least for me, that's what I was always taught, you know, yeah. that that's just, it's just, Oh, that's just a selfish thing. And you said you didn't like the terminology committed suicide. You hope that verbiage will change. Right. Um, and the reason for that for me personally is that it sounds like someone committed a crime. Mm-hmm. So now we're trying to use the verbiage died by. So my friend Sam died by suicide. He did not commit suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's something that, that, I believe needs to change within the verbiage of suicide. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I want, are there, is there like a movement to change this? I never. It's something that um, the NAMI organization that we talked about, they're, they're trying to get that verbiage to change because mm-hmm. there is so much stigma behind, you know, suicide and the people that commit suicide, sorry, the people that die by suicide. See, I just right. It's say. so ingrained into, into us to say it that way. I've been That's really so careful hard. after I heard you, you, you talk about the verbiage that I was like, do not say committed. It's, say it's committed. so easy to do because it's been yeah. with us for so long that that's what we should say, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's going to be changes little by little too. And I know something else we talked about too was um, getting it into schools. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if this had been something that had been within my upbringing, you know, in school or something like that, then I would have known that I could have went to a teacher or I could have went to my guidance counselor or maybe it was a good idea to go to my parents and then things would have been a lot different, obviously. Which part of it would you want to be brought to schools and in what way? I think basically to let the children know that if you're feeling a certain way, not just if you're sad, but if you feel continuously sad or if you're being bullied and it's making you feel bad about yourself, that you should talk to someone because mm-hmm. the more that something like that festers, the worse it can get. And um, 
again, NAMI, um, especially in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, they actually have a mental health superhero. His name is NAMI Man. Mm-hmm. And he actually goes to schools and talks to kids about mental health and things like that. And I think that that's, that's a brilliant way to get that into schools and to, to teach kids about, you know, mental health and how, you know, not everybody is wired the same way. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you hope to accomplish with your page? I want people to feel like there is a place that they can go where they can feel okay to be themselves. Be 100% yourself. Talk to me if you ever just want to talk to someone. You know, if you don't feel like talking to someone else, just DM me and I'll respond to your your messages because I just want people to know that there is always going to be someone out there that cares about you. And even though I don't know a lot of these people in real life, I love them all. You know, they've always been supportive of me and I want to be the same way with them. And if I can bring a little laughter to their day, that's a big plus for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think laughter is so important. It is. Just to have that, like, that just, let's not take life too seriously. Let's just laugh and love for a minute. Yes. That's, I, that, I mean, that, that's a big part of why I started my page too, was just like, our, the world needs more laughter. You can't right. go wrong with having more laughter in this no life. Kidding. You know? And then like you were talking about my sweatshirt, the whole be kind thing. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something that seems so simple, but is not for everyone to do. You know, we've, we've, the whole climate of the world has changed and a lot of people just aren't being kind to one another. And it's just so easy, you mm-hmm. know, throwing a compliment out here and there, a smile is free. You know, those things are very important, especially nowadays, because you just don't know what somebody's going through. Now, somebody might come up to you and have, you know, a sour puss or something like that, but you don't know what they've been through that day. You know, they could have had someone pass away. They could have gotten into a car accident. You don't know. So being right. kind is the most important thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's, that's so essential just to raise kind kids. Yes. Just like, that's like number one for me. I hope my kids are just not little assholes. That's it. I just want them to be nice. Just be nice. Were you nice to people at school? Did you sit by somebody who was alone? I don't know if you ever felt that way just with having this secret that you kept for so long, did you feel like people in high school? Cause I know you went to part of high school anyway, in England, did you feel right. like, did you get any bullying? Were you a loner? Did you have friends? What was that experience? Because I, I would think that hiding this, I, I, would it kind of deter you from people? It did. It did because it's really hard to let people in, especially when you're feeling so poorly about yourself, Mm. you know? So I had a few friends and I think they pretty much got a sense of something was going on with me, but they didn't know what, and they didn't know how to maybe address it with me. So I had a a couple friends, but you know, I, I did keep to myself a lot. Yeah. 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 I, that was big. That's a, that's a huge thing for me because I was, I know it's hard to believe it, but I was very, very quiet growing up, like deathly shy. I would not talk to grown ups, especially, but yeah. I had a very, I, I, at one point would write on note cards, like things to say to people at school, like, okay, today I want to talk to the girl that sits with me and I'm going to ask her this question on this note card. <laughs> Like I was a big time loner going into high school. I did, I went in, in the middle of the year and didn't know anybody. And so to me, it's always been like inclusivity 
is so important. It is. And like you said, you don't know what somebody's going through. Right. But to just be a friend to somebody, you know, just, just why not? Why not include somebody? Why not ask the person who's sitting alone at lunch should come and join your group? Like what? It it takes nothing out of you. Just include someone, you know? And that was one of the things when, uh, because we moved around so much is, um, I remember being in high school and for the first month I sat by myself at lunch and I didn't really care so much, but I was like, I'm probably always going to sit alone. That was my thought, you know, yeah. until one day a girl sat next to me and she just struck up a conversation. And I thought, wow, I wish I had that kind of spirit, you know, and yes. she sat with me. And, and then from there I got to meet her friends and then her friends became my friends. And then a new girl came in to the school and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to befriend her. I'm going to, you know, pay it forward kind of thing. So I befriended her, but then she, <laughs> she ended up becoming super popular and wanted me to drop my previous friends. And I said, no way, not happening. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. High school is something else <laughs> but it's amazing that someone's new to sit by you you know like I that mean, makes... they must have known that i needed that there are people out there who just are empaths you know that just like and they're just aware of other people mm-hmm. i think with so many so many people it's 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 easy to to forget about those who are around you especially in high school you're so worried about yourself definitely that we, that you, the kids don't, I mean, and I think this generation is doing so much better, you know, than previous generations, just because mm-hmm. these are things people talk about, but yeah, just why not? Like, what, what, what does that hurt you? Just exactly. like, just go and sit and talk to somebody, especially if you're someone who doesn't have a hard time talking to people, like just include that person. Don't just talk to people with friends, talk to the people who, who you can realize need friends. And it happens even in like motherhood with moms. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many lonely. I mean, it's a very easy way to get isolated when you become a mom. Oh, sure. Um, it, you know, because you're, you're like breastfeeding and you're a lot of people are going through depression. It's a huge transition. Mm-hmm. It's hard to take the baby out and that awareness in motherhood. And I mean, and, 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 you know, just in any <laughs> even as, as an adult, even where you're at right now, like right. people just need to reach out in a genuine way and be, mm-hmm. just be, just be friends. Just be friendly. Just be friendly. <laughs> That's it. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> what hope do you feel like you can bring to people? We'll end with this. I think this is important um, because I want people to come away from this with knowledge of your story, but I also want them to come away with some hope. So people who are struggling with mental health issues, with um, bipolar disorder, what kind of hope can you give them? It gets better through, through the, the trying to think of the best way to say this through the lowest of the lowest points in your life, you can make it up. You know, it may feel like everything is crashing down upon you but you can find that light at the end of the tunnel. Like we were talking about, you can find someone that cares about you enough to want to help you. There are people out there that want to hear your story and that can benefit from hearing your story. Just like we're talking about right now, you know, it's something that's so important 
to make sure that you talk about or else you're going to be like me and and break down from it because mm-hmm. you've been keeping it inside for so long and it's just not healthy. But I'm so glad that your parents eventually found out and that your Me roommate too. listened. And I mean, you sound like you have a great guy who is non-judgmental and accepting. He's and, loving and, so lucky. and he's really great at setting up sound. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> he said, okay, so. Well, anyway, Nikki, thank you so much for talking to me. Go ahead and, and give us your handle to follow. I'll make sure I put it in the show notes too. But what's your handle? What where can people find you and follow you at? Um on Instagram, it's Nikki Danger42. Nikki Danger42. You're very, very funny. Uh your page is hilarious. You post the most hilarious memes and tweets, but also you bring in this other element of mental health. And I think you're very, you're very real in your story and it's not always going to be pretty and you're not afraid to post that stuff and people need to do that. But you also give people a lot of hope and a safe place to be able to, to talk and interact. Thank you so much, Chelsea. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nikki. 